If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hello and welcome to the Rest is Football uh, question episode. Well, answer episode, I suppose, really, to your questions. And thank you once again uh, for sending them in. Lots of them, as always. And um, we appreciate you taking the time and we'll do our very best um, to answer as many as we possibly can. Interesting one to start off with, um, chaps, from Laura Garside. Love the three of you together. The chemistry is unmatched. Um, it's very kind of you. Um, but if you could transfer someone out, who would you pray? <laughs> if you, I'll say that again. <coughs> Fucking voice disappeared there. Fucking hell, we might be transferring you soon by the sounds of it. <laughs> but you might be fucking six foot under by the sounds of you. Oh, not very well. Oh, bloody cold. Uh, I'll try. I'll try again. Uh, but if you could transfer someone out, who would you replace them with to do the podcast with? Oh my god! Wow, oh. Laura. Oh, come on, Laura. That's a that's a bomb and a half. That is. That's a naughty question. Oh dear. I think when you've got a winning team, you stick with it. <laughs> What a great answer. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I wouldn't substitute anyone. I'm more than happy with you two. Oh, you're so sweet, Alan. You're I'll have so to go sweet. with Al. I, yeah, I'm not changing. I'm not changing. I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm not leaving. <laughs> no, no, none of us are leaving, Laura. We're, we're, we're happy with the team we've got, but... Um, but you know, I'm the boss here, so that might change. You're also you're also on the fucking 18th green. <laughs> <laughs> By the sounds of you, anyway. Well, I tell you what, Alan. If I keel over in the next 48 hours, you're going to feel a bit guilty. I know. I know. I'll take that back. I don't mean it. I'm only joking. Uh, <laughs> well, well, hold on. That's actually a very good question. If if you pop your clogs in the next year, guys. <laughs> Bloody hell. It's not the end of the podcast. <laughs> oh, dear. We better start planning, Mike, honestly. Oh, God. dear. If I die in the next half an hour, you two are going to feel so fucking guilty. Uh, let's move on from my death. Oh. 
RIP and all that. Mm, brilliant. Uh, Charlie Johns asks, um, oh, it's a question to me. Uh, Gary, you mentioned on an episode last week that your neighbours with Ed Woodward. Uh, surely there are more stories um, you've got with Ed. Um, yeah, Ed's a very good friend. He's, he's, he's a lovely guy, genuinely lovely guy. And um, yes, there is a good story. Tell because, us it. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo was signed when Ed Woodward was in my vanguard. <sighs> yes, that was amazing. And did it, you know it, what was happening at the time? Only when he arrived, he came. We had a lunch planned. I was I was cooking for a few people, and um, Ed being one of them. And he was he was on the phone when he arrived, and he was going, oh, I'm, tr- "I'm trying to secure the um, Cristiano Ronaldo deal. I'm trying to." And, and because at that point, if you remember, I think he was he was lo- looking like signing for Manchester City, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. And and then he got the confirmation call, um, and and he was sat. I've got a picture of him actually sat sat in the in the in the garden and in a chair at the back doing doing the deal. Did you put a bet on? <laughs> Did you put a bet on? <laughs> Insider information and all that. No, no. I'm not a gambling man. I'm not a gambling man. Uh, <laughs> did you put a bet? Mukul Barati. What was Ian Wright like in his prime and as an opponent and as a teammate? Love the show. Keep up the good work. Love from Darjeeling, India. That's where the tea comes from, isn't it? Darjeeling tea. Well, mm. Ian Wright was, um, he was he's unique in many ways, wasn't he? He was so fiery on the pitch. Um, he was. He's always been a great man to have around whether he, when you're playing with him as I did towards the latter stages with, with England a few times. Not so much fun to play against I would imagine if you're a defender because A, he was bloody brilliant and and, and B, he, he, was a, he was he was a king of shithousery wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> By his own admission. Alan? Lovely guy. Yeah. We all love him. Great guy. As a, uh, as a teammate, brilliant. You want him on your side. In the opposition, excuse me for swearing but he was Fucking horrible. <laughs> in I mean, because one, he was a great player. He just, I mean, everything he'd say and do, he'd try and wind you up. And yeah, but we'll forgive him all that because he's such a nice guy. What was it like to work with as a pundit? So how long did you guys work together as, because I know he was at BBC, didn't he? And then he left and then he came back. How long did you lot have your famous trio for? recent the recent times well it's, it's, it's been quite a number of years now and obviously i i worked with in the first time he was working with the bbc and then he kind of had a fallout and he went away and he he, he went to itv and and the guy he had the fallout with um then moved to itv and became his boss there um <laughs> niall sloan um it was always great to work with um niall. and then obviously niall's now He's, he's with ITV again um, yeah. for a lot of their stuff. and uh, But he was always always fun to work with. The days are a lot shorter with righty on the because you just have a laugh. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Just like we us three do now. It's great. Good crack. In fact, it's made me think maybe I should substitute one of you two for Ian Wright. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one from Gavin. What is your favourite goal you have scored in your whole career? Oof. Easier for you, this one, Mike. We've talked about many of my goals. I scored some absolute belters, by the way. (laughs) Mike, do you know how many goals you scored professionally? Probably Probably about 11. 11 11. You mean about? About, Around around that figure. So it is 11. 
So yeah, well, I might be adding a couple on, but it's, it's a bit... <laughs> <laughs> but my goal against Blackburn, I remember I was playing centre back. I remember this goal. We did this on the top ten, didn't we? Yeah. We did this on the top, but it doesn't matter. It's a new audience. It is. The new audience want to hear it. Want to hear about this tapping? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we. I need to get it up. H. John, come on, producers, get it up. Get it up on social media. I get the ball. I drive. <laughs> we talk about breaking the line. So I've got a striker in front of me. I, I invented the, the, the breaking of the line, stepping out the call. It as I a, invented <laughs> it. Did you just say that? He was the first to break the lines. <laughs> <sighs> and then I, I went past one. I seen oceans and oceans of space in front of me. And I'm thinking in my head, go on, go on, son. You know, you're talking to your head when you got, you know, different things. Go on, go on, go on, son. I keep going there. I drop my shoulder. I drop it. It was nice and quick. And then I got to like the last line of defense, so the, the, the last four. And someone's coming towards me. And I think, what do I do here? I've run out of steam by this point. I'm, I'm absolutely knackered. Honestly, my recovery ones weren't great. But adrenaline was sort of seeing me through. I play a wonderful, wicked through ball to Benjani. Benjani, one-on-one with a goalkeeper, misses, hit the post. But I've carried on my run, like the coaches used to tell me. Carry on your run. Carried it on and then just cushioned it. Lovely technique finish into the bottom corner. It was a worldie. <laughs> Sounds like Maradona's goal against England, <laughs> apart from the bit. Wait, came off the post. It sounds like a great finish, Micah. Oh, it was. It was. You know what? I'm going to, instead of my club ones, Gary, I'm going to do my favourite England one. My favourite England one was that one against Holland in 96. One where you sliced it. Sliced, yeah. I deliberately sliced it. That was my favourite England one, yeah. Yeah. When Gaza could have shot, he squared it to Teddy. Teddy could have shot, he then squared it to me and then smashed it in the top corner. That was my favourite England one. Yeah. Well, I'll go with England as well because there's something special about scoring for your country. Um, I actually usually answer this question with, it's just a bog standard striker's goal, but it was it was so massively important. The first goal I scored in, um, in Mexico in 86, in that game um, against Poland where we had to win. And I hadn't scored for a few games. It was a nice little move and it went down and then Gary Stevens crossed it and I made a run at the near post, gambled uh, and and just slid it in. It was only a few yards out. It wasn't a great goal, um, but for me, it's 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 more of how important it was, mm-hmm. both, both for myself, because I went on um, to score a hat-trick, which I obviously very rarely mention. Um, <laughs> and it changed my life. Yeah. When you say it changed your life, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I went from being a, a player that was just kind of breaking into the England team. I'd had a you know really good season at Everton. But because of that goal and the f- subsequent goals that followed, I ended up with a move to Barcelona. Um, if I hadn't scored that first one, who knows? History would have been very much um, different, possibly. I might not have played for England again if we if I hadn't scored in that game and we got sent home. Um, because Hang on we, a minute, you played for Barcelona? <laughs> yeah, before you, well, not before you were born, right. Alan, but probably before Did you Michael know you played born. for Barcelona, Micah? Yeah. Not mentioned it, no. Well, no. 
Oh, don't get me started. I'll start talking about my hat trick <laughs> in the Classica. <laughs> boom! Um, boom! There you go. And on that note, what better time than to take a break? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Rest is Football with Alan Shearer, Micah Richards and myself, uh, Gary Lineker. Got a question from Colm Maher or Maher. Uh, Hi guys, my question is, there ever a time a footballing memory might pop into your head when trying to go to sleep, even if it's a mischance, a great goal, or in Micah's case, maybe a great clearance? Mm. Very good question, that actually. Very good. I think it's probably the um, hat-trick in the Classico. <laughs> okay, now I'm just about to nod off. Oh. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think on the night of a game, sometimes I, I think I don't know about you two, but I, I particularly in midweek games where you're playing late kickoffs, I always find it very difficult to actually even get to sleep because you've got the, the game running through your mind, whether it's whether it's good feelings or, or bad feelings that you kind of run it through your head and it's just hard to switch off. I never, ever, I never slept really after, even on a Saturday night, three o'clock kickoff. I, I very rarely slept, whether it was for good reasons or bad reasons or going through the goals or going through the misses. Um, I always slept a lot better the night after um, rather than the night of the uh, the night of the game. You always dream, don't you? You know, when you get your first England call-up, you always dream of how it's going to go, you know? Like... Are you gonna score? Are you gonna? I always sort of think, just don't score our own goal. That's always my thing. I just I don't know why I think that. Just don't score an own goal, and you've done all right. Just get through the game without scoring an own goal, and you'll be all right. That's why I always used to think. I don't know why, but it always used to come to me before a game. Weird, I know. Peter Brees asks, "What was it like playing against teams you used to play for or supported?" I never ever thought to myself, I'm not going to celebrate because that's more of a modern thing, that isn't it? I thought that really? was disrespectful to the team that I was playing. Although for Dennis that Law time. did it, didn't he? When he backheeled that yeah. one that um, sent United down, 
whether I was playing against Southampton, Blackburn, um, or even when I was playing against Newcastle for Blackburn or Southampton, if I'd scored, then there's no way I'm not celebrating because I work all my life to score goals. So there's no way I'm not going to celebrate a goal. Sod that. doesn't matter who it's against. I remember my first game when I signed for Everton. I've been a Leicester fan all my life and I'd I played for them for uh, quite a few years, moved when I was 24 to Everton. And the fixture list threw up the first fixture was Leicester City versus Everton. So my debut for Everton, league debut anyway, was at Filbert Street. And we went out to play and I think we were were fairly hopeless. We were 2-0 down at half time. And we all trooped down the tunnel. And for some reason, I didn't turn right to the Everton dressing room. I turned left because that's where <laughs> I'd always gone. And I walked straight into Leicester's dressing room. Oh, God. And we were 2 0 down. Oh, no. Uh, and they, I remember they all started, What are you doing in here? Oh, you want to come back already, do you? And all this. Oh, I was like, I could Ooh. honestly, if the, I could have buried myself. It was just uh, so embarrassing. Oh, dear. I went back to um, the Etihad with. Aston Villa and obviously was going through a, a bad spell at a time at Villa but there was a portion of, of the fans near me that just basically turned on me <laughs> and every time I touched the ball they were saying you fat bastard I was just like <laughs> I've been here for 14 years from the academy and some horrible fans, only, only probably about 10 of them, were saying, you fat bastard. So I was like, wow. I felt so guilty when I was singing that. With them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, it was weird going back going back home to, to Man City. Um, it just, everything's just different, you know? You just going... When you're at Etihad, thinking, oh, I'm going to win the game. But going there with Villa to Man City, just thinking. I remember one player said on, on the... <laughs> one player said on the coach, I can't tell who it was. He said, I'll take 4-0 now. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah. Like, what sort of mentality is this? <laughs> oh, dearie me. Uh, Tom Bray wants to know, if Alan can go into depth about his time managing at Newcastle and fighting relegation. Um, sorry, Alan, I did <laughs> Into depth, well, fucking hell. I'm having a lovely day. And then he-, yeah. <laughs> he says, it would be great to know how it came about and the ins and outs of what it was like managing. So, well, tell us how the job came about because it was a bit out of the blue, wasn't I it? I got, uh, yeah, I got a call. I think it was Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening. Um, I was due to go on match of the day on the Saturday. I got a call off Mike Ashley and Derek Lambias, I think it was. And my agent rang and said, um, they want to come and meet you. So, uh, yeah, I said, I'll, I'll meet and spoke to them and, and agreed Everything. I mean, bearing in mind, I was the fourth manager that season. We had eight games left. We were bottom of the league, I think. Were you on a big bonus to keep them up? I was. I was on a massive bonus, yeah. Oh, dear. I was on a huge <laughs> bonus. <laughs> I had to ring the BBC and said, I'm not coming in Saturday. I'm taking the, the Newcastle job. And that was it. I went in Thursday morning and that was it. Just got to work. And I think we, I think we played... What's it like, though, seriously, Alan, walking into a place when you, you've got 
like no experience of managing. You've been doing like television punditry and stuff like that. I mean, how do you actually get your head around like, right, I've got to do a training session. I've got to get the players in. What do I say? What's the first thing? I just wanted to, I just wanted everyone to to realise the enormity of what was going on, you know, the, the size of it, the how bad a situation the club was in. And I'd, all, I just looked every one of them in the eye and I just wanted them all to give everything and if we got relegated we got relegated I just wanted to try and make it as comfortable as possible for them um, I think it was Chelsea the first game at home who were flying who were one of the best teams around at the time so that didn't go down too well um, but then it's just trying to keep the confidence up but it is I mean honestly I loved it despite what happened but I did realise it did open my eyes to oh my god this is because you don't really appreciate how tough a job it is and how much pressure you're under, you know, because as a player, you turn up, your boots are ready, your food's ready, your kit's ready, your tactics are there for you, and everything's basically pretty simple. You've just got to go out and play and score goals and do whatever. As a manager, you've got to decide what you wear, what time you leave, what the tactics are, and, you know, if it doesn't go so well on the Saturday, you're running through everything in your head. I mean, I honestly, I must have, I hardly got any sleep for that eight weeks because I was going to bed at stupid o'clock and getting up at stupid o'clock and going into the office and, and working and what have you. But despite what happened, even at the end of it, when we got relegated, I did, honestly, I love, I looked back and thought, I really enjoyed the experience, but it, it opened my eyes to how tough it is. Was that the most pressure you've ever been under? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Can I just ask from a, a tactical point of view, you know, your meetings that you had, mm. what sort of things did you implement in terms of, did you have long meetings, short meetings? Did you just write the teams? Because the old managers used to do it on like a, a whiteboard, just write it down, but it's moved on now where there was video analysis and all that sort of stuff. So where were you at at the time? Well, we did, um, I, I mean, as, as much as you want to play a system that you think is the right system that all depends on who you've got available, the injuries. We went into one game, I think it's Stoke, because Stoke renowned for long balls, chucking everything into the box, throw-ins, free kicks. So I decided to play three at the backs, three centre-halves, three big lads. Uh, that worked. We got a draw there, I think. So yeah, in terms of tactics, it's like, you know, when you hear this, this is the way I want to play. Well, you can't really play that way unless you've got the players to play, you know? Okay, one more question. Richard Martin, to Alan and Gary, who was your favourite strike partner for England and why? Teddy Sheringham for me. I thought you'd say that. Yeah, it had to be. It was one of those where didn't have to work and it really, it just naturally happened. He knew my game, I knew his game. His game suited mine and mine suited his and it worked to perfection and I loved playing up front with Teddy. I knew you'd say that and I think you'll know what I'm going to say. I do. Go on. Peter Beardsley. Correct. Yeah, I think I was pretty much a goal a game, um, a goal scoring ratio when I played with with Peter. He, he was, was brilliant, wasn't he? Oh, what a beautiful football! He did that little jinky thing where he could beat players, where he, and I never worked out how he did it. Um, but he was he was unselfish. He worked really hard, and the other thing, he didn't really like going in the box that much. Um, and I know people say you got to get loads of bodies in the box, but I, I think I've told you before that. I actually prefer it when there's no like other attackers in the box because 
there's more space in the box because if the more players you've got offensively in the box, the more they need to have defensively. So there's mm. less there's less space. And I, I love playing with Peter Beardsley. Brilliant. Uh, he, he was a great player. Yeah. Uh, Micah, who's the... Uh, it's unfair to leave you out of this question. Who was, um, you know, in the days when you perhaps played even as a central defender, who was your favourite to play with? I'll have to go Richard Dunn. Very underrated, very organised. He read the game very well. I was playing centre mid at the time. Then I, I was playing right back. Then I'd cover at centre back when Sylvan Distan was injured. And he just used to talk me through the game. It was like, it was ridiculous. He would tell me when to run, when to drop. Like, and he would say, okay, I'll go win all the headers and you just cover because you're a bit quicker than me, you're a bit sharper on a turn. So I'll do all the aggressive sort of um, defending and you just use your pace to cover me. And the relationship I had with him was just brilliant. I've, I've never played with someone who knew exactly what to do all of the time. He might not always make the right challenge or might not always make the right decision with a pass or linking up with play but defensively he always knew where to be it was incredible great stuff uh, on that note we'll conclude um, our question and answer uh, episode thank you very much for your questions once again your continued support for the podcast it's uh, massively appreciated I'm going to get some paracetamol and go to bed <laughs> uh, so goodbye from me <laughs> goodbye from me goodbye from me thanks everyone I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.